Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week eight is in the books. All it took was me going in the penalty box, and now all of a sudden you can't really fade my picks anymore. That's all it took is just us not trusting you with bets anymore. Well, like officially not trusting me with bets. I mean, we haven't really Mm -hmm. trusted me with bets for like a month and a half now, and that's been going pretty well for the people if you fade me, but... You know, this weekend actually four and two. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Maybe take yourself out of the penalty box for next week. Oh God, that can't go well. Just in time for primetime games, Joey. <laughs> yeah, just in time. Um, Mike, we have games to recap. Six of them in particular. Um, and and it's funny because we were sitting here talking and saying, well, that's not that many games to talk through. But boy, howdy, is there quite a bit to talk through with about every single one of these games. So without any further ado, you just want to go ahead and jump right in and start getting after it? Yeah, because most of these games went kind of how we expected, and some of them just really didn't, as is the case this year in a COVID ACC year. Yeah, some of these went really sideways really quick. And really, let's just start there. Uh, Mike, number one, Clemson, 34, Boston College, 28. I'm just going to spare you the shtick here that I usually go with of, well, nothing was wrong, right? I'm just going to spare you that. There was so much that has gone on with this game from the time, really, that we posted our preview show. So mm-hmm. that w- that went up around lunchtime on Thursday. We found out dinner time on Thursday, Trevor Lawrence going to be out for this game uh, for COVID. He-, he had tested positive for the virus, so he was out and-, and was not participating. So now starting for Clemson at quarterback, DJ Uyunglele. I think I got that right. You did, I think. Um, I- yeah, pretty close anyway. The other five-star quarterback on Clemson's depth chart, not not to mention the other other five-star on Clemson's quarterback depth chart, but either way, not Trevor Lawrence playing quarterback here. Um, Boston College comes out and scores a couple of quick touchdowns. Clemson's defense looked pretty terrible early in this game. Um, they were having all sorts of problems. They just looked like kind of sleepy. Like they just, it looked like they kind of just didn't want to be there, or they thought they could just roll their helmets out and win and. Phil Dracovic throws a couple of big passes to Zay Flowers over over the top of their heads, and next thing you know, Boston College is up fourteen to nothing, kind of early, and or excuse me, it was fourteen to seven, and people kind of looking at that sideways, like, really, like are we are we doing this today? And then at some point, Mike Clemson drives the ball way down the field. You know, it's a long drive. They're they're knocking on the door. They get the ball in like the two yard line. And a, a handoff to t- to Travis Etienne is just goes completely haywire. I don't know that Etienne even ever had the ball, and he drops it. And Boston College picks it up and runs it all the way back for a touchdown. And so what was about to be a fourteen all game is now a twenty one to seven game. And that was where the panic kind of seemed like it set in a little bit for Clemson. Yeah, I mean there were twenty one points scored in this game in the first six minutes. Yeah, it was all right, and we're you know opening kick. You know, win the coin toss, whatever, opening kick, and they're off. Like, mm-hmm. 
we're just going to score a million points in the first half, it seemed like. Yeah. And uh, it, it kind of continued that way. But it was just a really weird half defensively for Clemson. And this is – it's worth noting, right? This is the second week in a row that Clemson has kind of not looked particularly awe-inspiring. I get they didn't have Trevor Lawrence, and you give him a little bit of a pass at quarterback. His DJ Uyangalele, close enough. Close enough, uh, yeah. Yeah. We've seen him come in at different points throughout the year, whether it was against Wake Forest in the opener. Um, he's been sprinkled in a couple different times. Uh, throughout the season when Trevor Lawrence and Clemson inevitably just blow teams out. Um, but he's come in and the offense hasn't looked that good. Now, I was gonna say, that has, has, to... has there ever been a point where you've watched him in there and thought, is there a chance that he's better than Trevor Lawrence? Right. The, the answer was absolutely no. Yeah, right? no, no. The answer was no. And I will say that a lot of this also had to do with the fact that he comes in the game and he's playing with all the second stringers. Now, Clemson's second stringers can beat a lot of teams' first stringers. I get that, but you know the chemistry isn't going to be there because of the reps they are getting or just not getting, quite frankly, in practice. Um, so the fact that he steps in at quarterback in this game with the first teamers and he was able to perform the way that he did over four quarters, I think is really encouraging. As a Clemson fan, now having to go to South Bend next week without Trevor Lawrence, who's going to miss that game as well, Dabo announced after the game. So... That's really encouraging if you're a Clemson fan, not only for the immediate future this year, um, but obviously next year when Trevor Lawrence should go to the NFL. Yeah. Dabo sets a curse on these guys, you know, but he should go. Something like that. Right. Um, I'm honestly not sure for for Clemson in the near future if I'm more excited for DJ Uyunglele as their quarterback or Big Dave Uyunglele, his dad, looks like an absolute hoss of a man in the stands. Fired up. (laughs) Big time fired up. That is my guy right there, Big Dave Uyunglele. Um Yeah, this was—I don't know. Like, it, it's you look at you look at DJ's stat line from this game. And by the way, the, the rest of the story of the game: Clemson kicks a field goal kind of later in the in the first half. They're down twenty-eight to ten at halftime. And Mike, in, in that point, I, I checked the live line. Boston College was a half-point favorite. So you you basically were just betting on who do you think is going to win the game, and Boston College was a slight favorite at halftime even up 18 points like that, and Clemson's looks all out of sorts. Clemson comes back in the second half. The defense, they made a couple of tweaks at halftime. I thought that they might, and sure enough, all of a sudden Boston College having a hell of a time just moving the ball at all and couldn't finish a drive. They had one drive that they were able to extend out to 13 plays, but Mike, it was 13 plays for 34 yards, and it ended in an interception. So Not ideal. Not great, yeah. Um Anyways, Clemson able to able to come back, able to score. Uh, they got a safety late in the game that I thought might have been a fumble and a pickup for a touchdown, which was relevant only because I bet Clemson minus six and a half sometime in the first half and really would have been nice to have six points instead of two there. But hey, either way, fine. Clemson survives. I will say this about Boston College. Um, so not only again Clemson we were, we mentioned was without Trevor Lawrence they were also without TJ or Tyler Davis on the defensive line and James Scalsey their arguably their, their best linebacker. Yep. So Clemson came into this game without several of probably the eight best players on their team, you know, on any position across the field. Makes a difference no matter who you are. It does. And and Boston College caught a ton of breaks in this game. You mentioned the we mentioned the fumble that got run back for a score. 
there were two interceptions that Phil Dracovic threw that they got bailed out for on roughing the passer calls. One of them was a an absolutely just a boneheaded moronic play by Xavier Thomas. The other one, I'm not so sure it was roughing the passer call at all. Little iffy. Little iffy. Um, but Boston College was catching breaks. They were slowing the game down. They they took the 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 wind out of the sails. You know, Clemson having a miserable time trying to get in rhythm on offense in the first half because Boston College is just like sitting on the ball for a lot of it. Um, they took some deep shots. They connected on a few of them. Like Boston College came out here, and this was a just a perfect uh, perfect storm of some scenarios and their game plan, and they were in position to pull off this crazy huge upset and they almost did so credit to the eagles for again a a brilliant game plan some opportunistic play and they were they almost almost got it done mike if you're jeff halfley i know you don't want to hang your hat on losses but this might be one of those few scenarios where if you're in year one trying to establish a culture in a new program this is a really important game to try to do that and regardless of who's playing on the other side because you can't take away anything from Clemson's opponents. It's not their fault that Trevor Lawrence is out. Yep. No, so yeah. the fact that they, they go out and they play well and they put themselves in position uh, to pull off an upset on the road, no less. I was going to say, going I into get, Death Valley to do that. Yeah, which I guess a little bit different this year, but Clemson Stadium is one of the few in the ACC that allows fans in games this year. So it's as close as you're going to get to a home field advantage is playing at Clemson, and BC has to go in there on the road and – try to find a way to stay competitive against Clemson, who was an enormous favorite in this football game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you go in there and you not only cover the spread, you damn near almost win the <clears throat> excuse me, damn near almost win the game without, um, with, you know, with Clemson not having Trevor Lawrence. So uh, a testament to BC, something to build off of for sure. And regardless of whether or not Trevor Lawrence plays, BC played well enough in this game against Clemson's defense to put pressure on the Tigers in the secondary. I mean, Clemson's man coverage in this game is a big takeaway for me, Joey. Like, there's some areas that can be exploited in the secondary for Clemson. Yep. When they run into elite competition at the skill positions. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, they're playing Notre Dame next Saturday. No, I'm not talking about Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't have the elite proven talent at the skill positions yet. They got a lot of young guys there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking like further down the line, like playoff time, um, maybe ACC championship, like unless they see Notre Dame again. Like that's what I'm talking about, where they could be challenged a little bit defensively. And yeah. that's where other teams that have some firepower on offense could take advantage of some of the holes in the secondary there. Well, and I would point out too, that this is a game where surprisingly Boston college was able to exploit the fact that Clemson's receivers are not like they're sneaky, not that good at getting open and getting separation and all that. I mean, they're, they're physical and they're talented, but like, this is not Justin Ross and T Higgins running out there. Like the, the capability level for a lot of this receiver core for Clemson is not what it has been the last couple of years. So if, if, I mean, I saw some stuff coming into this game that, you know, the teams that run a lot of man coverage against them are making things pretty tough, even for Trevor Lawrence. Um, right. These, right. Are, and- these receivers, like they just don't, they don't get open at the rate that you're used to seeing from this team. Yeah, and that's why I brought that up. Like, irregardless of whether or not Trevor Lawrence plays, like, the receivers can't get open. 
at the clip that you'd expect. And on the other side, opposing receivers are getting open against Clemson's man coverage defensively. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to present Clemson some problems down the line. I think, I think the game in South Bend could be a bit of a challenge for Clemson um, because of how well Notre Dame's defense has played. Now, I, I think Clemson will get into a preview later this week. I think Clemson will win that game still. But I think that it won't be by as wide of a margin, and it won't necessarily be just because Trevor Lawrence isn't playing. Um, I, I think that the receivers that Clemson has, like they need, to, they need to find a way to get open more consistently outside of Travis Etienne, who is becoming Clemson's most proven receiver this year. Well, and, and you mentioned the thing in there that I think we got to keep in mind here, too, is that we we went through the entirety of this game assuming that Trevor Lawrence would be ready to go to play in South Bend right. this weekend. And we found out after the game, we, we kind of all are coming to a, an agreement, he's not playing next weekend. Like, he's right. not going to be able to pass all the protocols as necessary and all that. So it's going to be the DJ Uyunglele show once again we got to come up with a nickname for him. Um, it's gonna We're be just going to call him DJ, I think. The DJU show uh, up in South Bend yeah. next weekend. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm not ready to just anoint Clemson as the, uh, the automatic winners of that game. We'll say that, Mike. Yeah, I think Notre Dame can be a bit more competitive than you and I thought going mm-hmm. into our last preview podcast when we said, oh, yeah, by the way, Notre Dame in a few weeks. Not feeling good about it. Mm-hmm. Not feeling good about it. I feel a little bit differently now. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that, uh, Mike. That's all I've got on this game. I think I, I, I'm sure I had more, but we've already gone a lot on this. Anything it's else? A, it was it was kind of a mess for Clemson, but it's good to kind of pull it out and DJU's first start. Complete like survive in advance situation, and they did. Yep. They, I mean, it was a come from behind. Credit to him and that offense. I mean, for stepping up big when they had to have it. Yeah. Um, the thing I, I'll say this from a really detailed standpoint, the thing that everyone kind of noticed in this game, DJU has some weird thing about throwing to the left side of the field. Mm-hmm. And I noticed this and I, and everyone kept saying during the game is like, Oh, this isn't his, you know, he's not the reason that they're, they're struggling here. He's not the reason they're struggling is like, but I've seen him just like airmail like four or five throws. And I guess they, yeah, they were all to the left side of the field. So mechanics maybe a subplot yeah mechanics I don't know what that was but things that you just have never seen Trevor Lawrence struggle with you saw some issues with and and he's a guy he's got a huge arm he's a a big dude he's strong he can move a little bit gonna be really good like real real good yeah but he's there's still some some raw nature there that he he's not a hundred percent on target at all times in the way that you might kind of hope a five star quarterback playing for Clemson might be. So, I think there's a really interesting subplot there going to South Bend next week. Yeah, there there are levels of five star talent as we found out watching DJ play versus watching Trevor Lawrence play. Levels of five star talent is really a thing we would only ever talk about Clemson in that context in this conference. <laughs> What what a what a yeah what a bummer for the rest of the ACC. What a place to be. Clemson thirty four, Boston College twenty eight. Let's keep moving, Mike. Uh, Virginia forty four, number fifteen, North Carolina forty one. Just like we all expected, right? I'd like to apologize for my (laughs) lock of the week being UNC minus seven. Joey so eloquently tweeted old takes exposed and said. (laughs) 
because uh, I <laughs> I tweeted over the weekend. Uh, Joey tweeted me initially. He's like, "Are we sh- are we sure that you know UVA isn't going to like really lose this game? Like, are we absolutely sure?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "UNC by 17." <laughs> and I was being a little facetious because I didn't think I told you guys on the preview. I didn't think that it would be by that much. Mm-hmm. I thought that UNC would cover, but I thought it would be one of those situations where it, where it really was like a seven to 10 point game. So I was being a little facetious when I said UNC by 17. Well, UNC goes out outright loses to Virginia and Joey tweets it old takes exposed. And he's like, Hey, sup, 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 sup. Yeah. Sup. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> You're welcome. This was an odd, yeah. This was an odd game for North Carolina. I, I'd like to talk about. I, I don't want to take anything away from Virginia. We'll talk about them plenty here, but North Carolina, in the middle part of this game, especially like middle of second quarter, it really started to slip away from them. It's really like the middle twenty minutes. Yeah, and it was real odd how that just kind of snowballed for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Virginia did. A really nice job running the football. I mean, they they kept at it all game long. It and North Carolina is just having a lot of trouble stopping the run. And it wasn't like uh, they weren't real sexy stats. Like Virginia was averaging a little over four yards per rush, and uh, there was no running back who had over seventy yards. I mean, Brandon Armstrong carried the ball twenty times, so he was he's turned into Bryce Perkins. He's a really important from the standpoint of him, his importance to the offense, he's turned into Bryce Perkins. He's not as good as Bryce Perkins is, but he's his, the level of importance that he has when he's on the field is very similar because of how he's used in the offense. We talked about Bryce Perkins and his departure from the program. And where was UVA going to find this running game? And Brennan Armstrong has stepped into the role and he's not playing as well as Perkins is, but it's to the point now, Joey, where if you remove him from the fold, and we've seen UVA's offense when he hasn't been on the field this year, they are real bad mm-hmm. when he's not playing. Yeah, Real bad. As you'd expect for most starting quarterbacks, but when he steps back in, UVA becomes a very different offense. They're not a great offense, but they're at least adequate enough to give their defense a break and really help that side of the football out. I was going to say, they're, they're, like when he's in the game and he's on the field, like, it's not like they're all of a sudden some electric greatest show on turf right. kind of offense, but they're they're functional and they can move the ball and they can string together some first downs and and they can score some points and they can do some of these things, uh, you know. So it's that's again, it's not incredible, but it's it's good and it's functional and it works. And you can see the difference when he's on the field versus when you remove him from the offense. Yes, which, absolutely. Like you said, it's not a monumental jump to say all of a sudden UVA's offense is good, and I really want to emphasize that. That's not what I'm saying here, and I'm not saying that Brennan Armstrong is as good as Bryce Perkins, Mm -hmm. but the level of importance that he has is very similar to the importance that Bryce Perkins has had to the offenses for UVA over the last couple of years. Because when you remove Armstrong from the field, this offense is atrocious, Mm -hmm. like real, real bad. And when he's back in, they're at least functional. Yeah. Yeah, the the segment of this game, I think, where the whole thing really changed, and like we mentioned, it was probably that middle 20 minutes. Um, So North Carolina scores a touchdown on a one-play 76-yard drive, a long pass to Coffrey Brown um, with about 10 minutes left in the second quarter. From there, Virginia gets the ball back, goes eight eight plays, 75 yards, touchdown. North Carolina goes six plays, 31 yards, misses a field goal. Virginia Mm -hmm. then goes eight plays, punt, 
North Carolina drops the punt and Virginia gets the ball back and scores a, a, a touchdown after, you know, 20 yards. North Carolina then ends the half by getting the ball down to the two-yard line. Sam Howell ends up sacked, so there's no like no points come out of that. Virginia gets the ball out of halftime, 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. North Carolina, four plays, fumble. Virginia, five plays, 30 yards, touchdown. So, Mike, if you're keeping score at home, the whole drive summary I've just told you, Virginia just ripped off four touchdowns in between North Carolina being able to score. Like, yeah. This game went from twenty to thirteen North Carolina to forty to forty one to twenty. Like Yeah. That was where it this totally game flipped. Changed. Yeah, it totally flipped. I mean North Carolina's turnovers absolutely killed them in the third quarter. Um lack it, of finishing it spiraled drives. out of control yeah. there. Yeah, lack of finishing drives. Uh at the, yeah, right before halftime. Like it spiraled out of control for North Carolina rather quickly. And for the second time in the last three weeks, we saw what North Carolina has to do late to try to get themselves back into the football game. Um, they, they damn near almost did it. Virginia, once again, Virginia does this fake punt on fourth down where you're going to give the ball back with some time to a all of a sudden white hot North Carolina offense that's now scoring points in the fourth quarter. And they you're scored touchdowns on three straight drives. And you're looking at Sam Howell and all his receivers that are now gaining more and more confidence. And you're like, are we sure we want to give the ball back to them? Um, Bronco Mendenhall said, no, we don't want to give the ball back to them. We're going to run a fake punt with Keaton Thompson as the up back. They snap it to him. He, he darts out initially to the right, cuts back to the left because the play was going to be blown up dead on, what was it, fourth and three, fourth and four? Something like that, yeah. So he cuts back, makes a couple guys miss um, on essentially a broken play. It was a designed run to the right on the fake, and he cuts back to the left, makes a couple guys miss, picks, picks up the first down, and UVA just clocks it, right? They're done. They're just taking a few knees and getting out of there. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a gutsy call. It worked out. The play call wasn't great, but I like the call to go to kind of essentially go for it and just run that fake punt. I think North Carolina was ready for that. It was clear, but they didn't make the play when they needed to. And Keaton Thompson just credit his athletic ability um, to kind of find a cutback lane and make a play when UVA really needed it. And North Carolina... I think if you're a North Carolina fan, and I've been on this boat, and you know I've been on this, on this boat since the preseason, Joey, where I thought North Carolina was a really good team coming into this year. Mm-hmm. But I thought I thought that they were a little bit overranked because of everybody saw what they were doing on the recruiting trail. And it's going to pay off for them. They're going to be real good here for – they're going to string it together and be good for a number of years. Yep. The issue is that recruiting classes two years from now don't matter this year. And – what you're seeing out of North Carolina right now is a team that's inherently flawed on defense that we talked about in the preseason that can't make enough stops, mm-hmm. right? Yep. For, even for a high-powered offense. And they can't make enough stops defensively, and they're a year early on the hype they were receiving. Yep. They are not there yet. You can't, go, you can't go to Tallahassee against a bad Florida State team and lose the way that they did, even though they turned the game around the second half and damn near won the thing if it weren't for a handful of drops, you can't lose that game in Tallahassee. You can't be putting yourself in a situation where you're down multiple scores. Like you can't, that can't happen. Yep. You can't go on the road to Charlottesville and, and have, have the lead and essentially not finish a drive, fumble a couple times and then not get any stops on defense in the interim. And then all of a sudden go from up seven to down 20. Like yeah. that can't, that cannot happen. Yep. Like North Carolina's defense needs to figure this out. 
yep. if they want to be good and relevant for the rest of this year, let alone next year, the following year. The offense is great. Sam Howell's great. Receiving core is awesome. They have an awesome, like Javante Williams and Michael Carter, best running back duo in the ACC. They got all the pieces on offense. That's not their issue. Defensively, they got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. This is becoming a recurring issue now. It's the second time we've seen this in three weeks. We saw it against Virginia Tech last month. Um, where they got out to huge leads twice. Virginia Tech came back because the defense couldn't stop anybody. This is a recurring issue for the North Carolina defense that I don't think is getting better this year. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll say this. like I was, I, I was high on North Carolina coming into the year, and I picked them to go to the ACC championship. The reasons for that were, A, I saw that they lost six games last year and not a single one of them by more than a score. Um, it was it was all a bunch of like six point or fewer losses, so that yep. seems like that'll correct itself. A, B, I saw the schedule and I I saw that it was just like picture perfect. You know, from a you're better than almost everybody. You miss Clemson, you get you know your three toughest games are separated by multiple weeks apiece. Like the whole thing was like picture perfect setup. So to me, it was never about the recruiting class, you know, and that's, that's cool. That's nice, but you're yeah, right for, for you. It, for you, it definitely wasn't. Yeah. And, and you're yeah. absolutely right. That, that, that makes a big deal in 2022 or whatever, but right. not for 2020, but what I've seen from this team, I think honestly, you know, the, the defense has definitely been beatable, you know, it's been penetrable. It's, it's not, some perfect or, or, or um, even particularly good defensive unit at this point. I think what I've seen is that you mentioned how this offense late in the fourth quarter of this game had turned white hot. And and the, the problem is that this offense, it, it's like it, it really varies between white hot and like something that's completely inflammable. Like <laughs> – like useless, you know, from you know, on a few drives, and, and I don't know yeah. how to, I don't know how to reconcile that. Like it's, it is just like it's a super heavy, like rhythm based offense. That if they're not in rhythm, they look god awful. Like like they're terrible. Yeah, yeah. And some of it has to do with with the offensive line play a bit. Um, mm-hmm. They get they get rolling offensively, and they're tough to stop. And the offensive line, I mean, it is a rhythm thing for sure because of the way they play offense, the tempo they possess. But you also, by the same token, can't let Charles Snowden, the best player on UVA's defense, sack you four times mm-hmm. by himself. Um, yeah. Might be a little bit of a candidate for ACC Player of the Week, by the way. Sneaky, yeah. He's that. Um, yeah, he had four sacks, four tackles for loss, um, second on the, on the defense and tackles. You expect Charles Snowden to have a good game because he is one of the best linebackers in the conference, certainly one of the top five or ten in the country. Mm-hmm. You expect him to play well, but you can't let – the best player on the opposing defense, and you know that North Carolina was scheming for him all week, you can't ha- let him have four sacks. You just can't let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was way too disruptive in this game for North Carolina's offense. They corrected that a bit in the second half. But I think, like you said, moving forward, there needs to be more consistency defensively. That way, as the offense tries to figure some things out in the middle of the game where they do hit some walls, yeah. there's a little bit of a margin for error, at least, because right now there's no margin for error for this offense. they got to score all the time, and that's a problem that they need to fix on the defense, at least become more consistent so that you allow the offense some time to figure some things out mid-game and have to make adjustments, et cetera. Yeah. Um, well, last thing on this game, Mike, that I'll drop in here, we got a little note from our, our buddy Banana Slug. Uh, yeah. Big Virginia guy. 
Big and Tony Polchan guy. Big Tony Polchan guy. Yeah, that's right. No, and he he's clearly shooting up the power rankings of tight ends in the ACC. Um, <laughs> God. So he tweeted us. I think it was on Friday after the after the preview mentioned Mac Brown to this day has never won a game in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to like the late nineties. And I don't know how much that voodoo really still plays in, in, you know, 2020, but Hey, but he also mentioned Virginia coaches against UNC since 1982, George Welsh, Al Groh, Mike London, Bronco Mendenhall. Mm-hmm. Three of those four are aggressively over 500 against UNC uh, the only one, Mike London, was 0-6. So not over 500, but George Welsh, 13-5-1. Al Groh, 7-2. Bronco Mendenhall, 4-1 now against UNC. Um, and one of the worst coaches in school history was 0-6 against North Carolina. So I think you just kind of take that and just say, you know what, he really wasn't beating anybody. Really so. wasn't the guy. Um, yeah. But it's just it's interesting to me. I, I kind of hadn't realized that like that's not – you don't look at this as like some real traditional noticeable rivalry or like, you know, it's, it's like there's some stigma around North Carolina can't beat Virginia. And yet, like the record over the past, what, you know, going on 40 years, it's like North Carolina can't beat Virginia. Like, and I don't know how yeah. or why that is. It's very it's <laughs> it's very odd. I've I tweeted this during the game, but I, I was really impressed with Virginia and how they played, how the offense played, the defense especially played for the majority of the football game. And I just really come away from this not knowing what to think of North Carolina the rest of the year. Like, mm-hmm. I think they'll I think they'll obviously win their fair share of games, and, and they'll be a, a decent team uh, in the ACC the rest of the year. But I just don't, week to week, I don't know what I'm going to get from them. I'm still trying and, to figure out what to do with Virginia. They host yeah. Louisville next week. What do I do with that? <laughs> yeah, I, that's a that's a really good question, and I haven't seen the early line on that game, but I bet that's something. Well, there's no time like the present, Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead, keep do, going. Do, 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 do. No, um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Virginia I have no idea. Minus what the, two and a half at home. I thought Virginia might be a favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I. I mean, that's a big win for Virginia. That's a letdown spot, potentially. Uh, ooh, don't know what to think of that one. Have to mull that one over a bit. How much would you have bet on North Carolina if I told you Sam Howell is going to finish this game 23-28 of 28 for 443 and four scores? No picks. A lot of money. A lot of money. Now, that was garbage time. I don't want to say garbage time because UNC was still semi in the game. He had five but, incomplete passes the whole game, Mike. Yeah, but no, no. But like from a yard standpoint, like the fourth quarter was huge for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they need to score some points in a hurry. He was a big reason why. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I think overall throughout the course of the game, Virginia did a pretty nice job against North Carolina's offense. And yeah. there's only, you can only hold down that offense for so long. And they kind of just hung in there throughout the entire first half and then really capitalized on the North Carolina turnovers. I think that was huge. Well, and you mentioned too, when we were off air that Virginia won this game in the trenches. Yeah, um, and, and this is the last thing I've got on this game is that Virginia won this game in the trenches and they had a pretty brilliant game plan coming in and it worked is that I mean Virginia owned this game they ran the ball on offense and they I feel like if I say they contained North Carolina's run game on offense that was that's probably not a strong enough word like North right. Carolina had a bit of a hell of a time trying to <clears throat> run the ball in this game and there's there's not a lot of teams in the ACC that have been able to do that in the last year and a half 
So big credit to Virginia here and that, and that team for, again, a great game plan, a, a, a really solid win here. This was not a, a lucky, you know, thing. This was – you came out here with a better game plan and you executed and, and, and won the game. So hell of a win for Bronco Mendenhall and that team. Yeah, what did Virginia finish with from a points-off turnover standpoint? Um, I mean, they scored at least at least three touchdowns. Well, North Carolina only turned the ball over twice. So, oh, okay. So, I'm sorry. I was counting. So, I was thinking the the flip from coming out of halftime, right? So, North Carolina doesn't score before halftime. UVA scores first possession, second half. And then mm-hmm. North Carolina has those two third-quarter fumbles. So, I was grouping that in there. But that really wasn't a turnover for North Carolina. But so, cre- the point, point being credit Virginia for – capitalizing on those turnovers yeah well and, and i mean two true turnovers for north carolina you drop the punt before halftime virginia goes mm-hmm. in and scores a touchdown yep and then you fumbled on the first drive in north carolina's first offensive possession out of halftime they fumbled that yeah and virginia goes in and scores a touchdown so averaging seven points off of each turnover like and north really carolina gets no point that. yeah north carolina gets no points before halftime mm-hmm. like you need to score there mm-hmm Get three at least. Yeah, like, you gotta score there. Yeah, gotta have something. So, g- good win for Virginia. Well done for those guys. Um, Great win. Yeah. Maybe a couple of questions about North Carolina at this point of uh, what are we doing here? Uh, uh, so I don't know. Interesting, interesting night in Charlottesville. Um, that's all I got. Virginia forty-four, North Carolina forty-one. The Texas Tar Heels, right? Mac Brown, <laughs> something like that. Yikes. Yeah, big yikes. Uh, let's move on, Mike. Virginia Tech, 42, your Hokies, uh, against my Cardinals, 35. And, again, just going to pass up on the shtick here. Um, Mike, this game was not not nearly as close as the scoreboard would say it was. Agree. Um, Virginia Tech came out, and uh, they deferred to the second half. They immediately forced the Louisville three and out and score on the first possession of the game. <laughs> so Set the tone. Uh, that they had offensively. So that's how you set the tone. Um, Virginia Tech forced – Another punt, uh, they go down and score again. Um, and before you kind of sat down and got comfortable, Virginia Tech had a 14 nothing lead. Uh, I'll tell you what, like Virginia Tech defensively in this football game, I thought it was unequivocally from start to finish their best game of the year defensively, with the exception of two plays. Mm-hmm. Two kind um, of important plays. Two kind of important plays. So let's start with the one that everybody's talking about. So Virginia Tech is leading Louisville 21 to 7. Uh this is not a ton of time left in the first half. Uh Virginia Tech punts and Louisville so the, Virginia Tech punts with 52 seconds left in the first half, right? Um Louisville is back at their own 15-yard line, right? And Malik Cunningham gets sacked for a loss of 5 on the first possession or the first play of that possession. So, looks like a dead series. Louisville is planning to just run the clock out and go into halftime. Mm-hmm. The only problem with that is that when Javion Hawkins took a handoff on an innocent little pl- uh, sweep play out to the left, he broke loose 90 yards for a Louisville touchdown. And instead of going into half up 21 to 7, Joey, it was 21 to 14, Virginia Tech. Yeah. Gigantic play at the end of the first half that simply can't happen for his Virginia Tech defense huge momentum swing like I was watching as that happened and and I thankfully just swapped over from Georgia Tech Notre Dame had just gone into halftime and I was I was yelling and just beside myself I, I couldn't figure out how like how does that happen 
how does Virginia Tech let that happen? Like just and again, this wasn't like this was some like screen pass or it was right. like a deep ball that somebody got open. No, you just handed it off just trying to kill the clock or whatever. I think he only broke one tackle and he was gone. Like Yeah, just on what? off to the races. Yeah. Crazy. So that I'm that simply can't happen. It was Shades and, and Virginia Tech fans listening to this will understand what I'm saying. It was it was uh, Shades of Dexter Williams in the Notre Dame game at Lane Stadium a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where Notre Dame's offense was held down for a majority of the first half and in this in the third quarter, Dexter Williams takes that little screen pass that it was either a screen pass or a swing pass out to the left, just broke it up the sideline, just totally untouched. And it was like where was the defense on that? That's kind of how I felt looking at that play. And that could have been disastrous. And I will credit Virginia Tech. They come out right after halftime. They get the ball first to start the second half. And instead of being up 21-7 at the half, it's 21-14. to Virginia Tech comes out in the first drive of the second half, scores a touchdown. That was um, a big deal. That's a big deal. And they follow that up by picking off Malik Cunningham for the second time in the game and then going down and getting a field goal. Um, so before you know it, Joey, it's 31 to 14 Virginia tech. And now you're looking at this saying, all right, the Hokies with the way they've run the football, cause Khalil Herbert had another great game yesterday. The way that Virginia tech was running the football in this game, you're like, all right, just put Louisville away. That's all you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville stuck around Joey. Mm-hmm. They stuck around, uh, beginning of the fourth quarter. This can't, this really can't happen. Des Fitzpatrick. We talked about the, the chunk plays with Louisville's offense. We talked about in the preview and how explosive they can be with the team speed that they have. So that you have the Javion Hawkins play at the end of the first half. And then at the beginning of the fourth quarter, down 31 to 14, Virginia Tech's out here trying to put the game away. Des Fitzpatrick gets loose in the secondary, 82 yards for a touchdown. So you have two plays here, Joey. You have a 90-yard touchdown run and 82-yard touchdown pass. 172 yards for Louisville on two plays in this Mm -hmm. football game. Outside of that, I thought Virginia Tech did a nice job against Louisville's offense, keeping skill position players for the majority of the game in front of them. Um, The running game, I think, finished 16 – what was it, Joey? The final count, 16 carries for 39 yards outside that Javion Hawkins touchdown run? Uh, For Hawkins, it was, yeah. Yeah. He he had 16 for 39 and also one for 90. Yeah, also one for 90. So – you can't just take that away. I understand that. But given where Virginia Tech's been over the course of the season defensively, and they're starting to get healthy, and you're starting to see the defense play a bit better. But given where they were at at the start of the year, think to the Duke game where they gave up 40 points, think to the North Carolina game where they gave up 56 points, like this is better. Like they're starting to play better. Yep. But you can't let the chunk plays continue to pile up because that's how Louisville was able to stay in this game. Louisville scores a touchdown late. Um, credit Virginia Tech, too, for putting the game away in the, in the fourth quarter offensively, too. I mean, you know, Tech's, uh, you know, we mentioned 30. It was 31-14 Tech. They go down, they get a field goal in the fourth quarter, which was pivotal. That was a really important score to kind of extend it back out to a two-score lead. And then you score another touchdown late, 42-28, and put yourself in position to kind of put the game away, except Louisville scored another touchdown late in the fourth quarter. So it was like every time Virginia Tech looked like they were just going to pull away by like three or four scores, Louisville find, found a way to kind of keep it close with their offense. And Louisville's offense in the fourth quarter was really good, Joey. 
Well, and Virginia Tech's run game really proved beneficial here. If you look at the last five times Louisville had the ball, so the first of the first the first of the last five times was that drive before halftime, and I call it a drive. It was just a sack and an incomplete pass, and then whoop, ninety yards to the house. Surprise! See ya. Yeah. Um, as time expired, you know that. So there's that. The four possessions they had in the second half, 12 plays, 73 yards, as you mentioned, an interception like in the end zone or in the red zone, you know, for Louisville. And then it was touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So, like, Louisville started moving the ball and started getting in rhythm, but Virginia Tech was able to use the run game to continue propagating the ball down the field and keep the clock moving and and shorten the game there in halftime when they were decidedly, you know, the better team. And so that was, I, I thought it was well executed by them. Um, I'm trying to figure out Mike and, and we've talked a lot about Virginia tech here. I am, I am still kind of at a loss of like, what, what is Louisville this year? Yeah. I mean, good question. The inconsistency is still just staggering to me. I mean, just game to game, drive to drive. Like, what is this team? I don't know. Yeah, I I will say they're decidedly bad on defense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one thing with Louisville that we've been able to accurately forecast throughout. Well, except for the Notre Dame game. But we've been able to accurately forecast Louisville's defense throughout the season as real bad. And the issue that they're having offensively is that Malik Cunningham, who was who fell one pass short of the NCAA efficiency ratings last year, he would have been second in the country in passer efficiency behind Joe Burrow, has now thrown three more interceptions in half as many games as he played a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he had five interceptions going into this game against Virginia Tech. He threw three more. Uh, a couple of them were kind of weird, unlucky plays. But he throws three more in this football game against the Hokies, and he's now got eight on the year. That's been an issue. Turnovers have been a problem for Louisville this year. That's the one thing you can point to from a turnover margin standpoint and say, you know what, they're not producing enough turnovers defensively, and they're turning it over far too much offensively. And a lot of that falls on Malik Cunningham regressing a little bit in the passing game. Now, when you look at it face value, his completion percentage uh, coming into this game against Virginia Tech was actually better than it was last year. So it's a throw here or there. It's not full-on regression mode where he can't complete passes anymore. That's not the issue. The issue is that a few more passes now are being thrown to the other team, and the margin for error is razor thin. We talked about this in North Carolina. The, mar- the margin for error is razor thin when your defense is not getting any stops. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem that Louisville is having here. They had a brutal schedule at the start of the year. They turned it over too much, and defense just didn't show up in several games. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing Louisville's not as good of a team offensively as North Carolina is. We know that, but they have skill skill talent at running back, skill talent at receiver, a good quarterback. The ceiling is not as high offensively for Louisville. Um, and, And defensively, it's worse, right, than North Carolina. It's just worse. So you're seeing kind of the worst version of North Carolina right now when you watch Louisville play. It's very weird. Yeah. Worth mentioning, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Louisville's turnover margin this year is, is worse than the conference on a per-game basis. Yeah. I mean, they're minus 11 in turnovers over seven games. Like, that's not great. Part of that, though, that that's, that's the general margin. They have turned it over a number of times on offense – their defense is not creating turnovers at all. 
it's an issue. That is a huge issue. They've created four turnovers in seven games. Like that. Yeah. That's not enough. Um, and and so that's that's one of those things too. That again, you get into these one score games. It's a great way to lose it. Is if you can't yeah. create turnovers and you know you're you're giving the ball away more than you're getting it back. So yeah, that's I mean worth considering. Yeah, I mean, think about the one-score games they've had this year. You had this one. You had Notre Dame two weeks ago. Like, they've gotten themselves into some games here that they probably could have won if they turned the other team over. I know there's an element of luck to that, but when you're giving the ball away like they have this year, more than they did a year ago, and you're mm-hmm. not producing turnovers, it's a bad recipe in close games. Yeah. Ask North Carolina last year. Like, yeah. It's a bad recipe. So, I, yeah, another tough loss for Louisville. I, I still bullish on their offense because I, I do think Cunningham is a good quarterback and I do think there's an element of luck to all this with turnovers and Javion Hawkins has been really good for them in the running game yep. but uh, the stats are a little bit misleading on Saturday a lot of that came on one run but I think overall he's been pretty good and nice bounce back game too we talked about Khalil Herbert 147 yards and touchdown mm-hmm. nice bounce back game from Hendon Hooker yep. played worst game of his career last Saturday against Wake Forest he had 68 Yards rushing, three scores on the ground. He was a perfect 10 for 10 for 183 yards passing in this game. Tech didn't have to throw the ball a lot, but he was perfect when he put the ball in the air. That's really important moving forward for the Hokies. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Let's keep moving here, Mike. Virginia Tech 42, Louisville 35. Uh, Number four, Notre Dame 31. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 13. Mike, I'm good with it. I'm good. Tell me why. This worked. I mean, look, you were outgunned badly by Notre Dame on offense, on defense. I mean, you had a talent disadvantage. And you know what they went out there and did? They didn't get embarrassed. Covered the spread. You covered. You you made Notre Dame earn it. And, I mean, if the spread were 17 and you didn't cover, I'm still happy with this. Like, that's – Yeah. You, you went out there. You were competitive. Notre Dame was struggling hard to get anything in the way of chunk plays. You know, you're, you're consistently getting four, five, six yards per play rushing the ball. But, yeah – You've got a big, bad physical offensive line. You've got more talented running backs, like all this. I expect this to happen. It's just that Georgia Tech didn't go out there and just make an ass of themselves doing dumb crap. So this is good. This is progress. I like this. I agree. It's a step in the right direction. What Georgia Tech did well in this game against Notre Dame is they made Notre Dame struggle in the areas where Notre Dame struggles at. You You mentioned the chunk plays, right? And Notre Dame's been trying to find this passing offense, right, that's kind of eluded them all year. They've been trying to kind of find the consistency in the passing game. And Ian Book was good. I mean, he didn't 18 to 26, efficient performance, threw for 199, had the touchdown pass. Like, he was good. Notre Dame's running game was good. But there weren't chunk plays. Like, they had to work to to move the ball offensively. Yeah. It wasn't just like they threw a screen pass out to the flat. And Kyron Williams took it 70 to the house. Like, mm-hmm. that that's not what this game was. Notre Dame, over the course of four quarters, was the much better team. And we saw that, especially defensively, was Notre Dame was real good. And Georgia Tech struggled to get anything going offensively in this game. And it was only a matter of time before Notre Dame's offense just grinded it out and scored points and had long drives against this Georgia Tech defense. And it, it, where this game was won is in the offseason with the program that Notre Dame has become versus mm-hmm. where Georgia Tech's at right now. Yeah. That's where the di- where that's where the 18-point difference is. It wasn't like a weird play here or there. Like, Notre Dame's just a better program right now. Yeah. This but, is late-stage, extremely talented, well-developed Notre Dame program. Like, they were 
they were never this was never going to be a potential upset for Georgia Tech. Right. And Notre Dame just kind of grinded it out offensively and punched it in when they had the opportunities. No huge chunk plays, but just grinded it out the entire game. And then defensively, Georgia Tech had no shot because the Notre Dame defense was just real good, as they have been now for uh, they've been able to string together really strong performances now for a number of weeks. Right. Yeah. And and so like if I have gripes about this, I I have a little bit of a, a an issue with Georgia Tech's like offensive game plan coming in. I feel like they they didn't do all the right things to try to like it's it's I I'm not so much concerned at this point that Georgia Tech didn't score points in this game as much as just the frustration at watching them try to string together two or three first downs. Right. Like that's that's the problem and, and the thing that that still gets me a little bit is like in this day and age of football and college football and all this like if you have a functional scheme and you have players that understand the scheme that you're trying to run and you know they're on the same page you saw what Boston College did against Clemson you can string together a couple of first downs here and there you know, Wake right. Forest can string together three or four first downs against Clemson's defense. And even if you had to punt, at least you kept your defense off the field. You know, you slowed the game down, you know, like you can do some things. So from an offensive scheme standpoint, I, I still have my questions and my reservations. But just in general, I, I mean, they were competitive. Yeah. They did I mean, Notre- self-destruct with penalties like there's right. There's not a high threshold I'm looking for in a game where you're badly outgunned and you met threshold, so I'm happy. We're good. Yeah, I mean, you can only go up from 73-7 to 7 against Clemson, right? <laughs> yes. And And this was, uh, Notre Dame is not to the level of, well, I, uh, we'll discuss this. I don't believe that Notre Dame is to the level of Clemson. Mm-hmm. And this was not going to be a game where Notre Dame was going to score 70 points because they're not built that way. Mm-hmm. And Georgia Tech lost how they were supposed to. Like, so often in college football now, and we talked about this before hitting record, like the more college football I watch now, and I feel like the last three or four years, I've always been a huge college football fan. I've always watched my teams play, but I think over the, and I've always watched the big games, but over the last three or four years, I'm watching more like group of five football and like football at all levels of the FBS. And the mm-hmm. more that I watch it, it's it, look, you got to win games. And that's the, that's the end goal of this thing. But you can learn so much about different programs, especially those that aren't elite by how they lose Mm -hmm. do they lose how they're supposed to yeah or do or do they lose 73 to 7 and i'm not picking on georgia tech but you see that like across college football where teams don't lose how they're supposed to lsu this weekend against auburn great example they weren't supposed to lose that game by six touchdowns were they no they were a two-point underdog (laughs) that's what i'm saying so like you learn a lot about the trajectory of a program by how they lose I will give Georgia Tech credit, right? Because we, we talk about Notre Dame like grinding out long drives. Like Notre Dame starts the game by going 15 plays, 81 yards, nearly a nine-minute drive off the bat, right? And then Georgia Tech goes out and punts. Notre Dame drives down. They look like they're going to go in and score again, and then they return a fumble 93 yards for a touchdown. Georgia yeah. Tech does to get themselves back into it. And then Notre Dame comes back out and then scores on the next possession. That could have easily been a 21 nothing game, right? If Notre Dame punches in that uh, – punches in that touchdown drive where they fumble and then force another punt and Notre Dame goes in and scores again. Like this game is a wrap. So Mm -hmm. credit to Georgia tech for kind of hanging in there early against these long, like grinded out type drives that Notre Dame was having. Cause that's how they needed to stay semi competitive for a little bit. Yeah. They did. Yeah. The simple fact that Notre Dame's first three drives 
I mean, technically the second one probably would have ended in a touchdown as well, but like right. three drives took 30 plays to, to rack up, you know, 150 yards or whatever. That's good. Like that's just that's progress. Make it difficult on them. Yeah. Don't let them score in three plays. Make them earn it. And really, truly, what that results in over time, Mike, is at some point, you know, you, you get a team that isn't this mature, highly talented group, and somebody's gonna make a mistake. Right. They're gonna they're gonna get bored. They're gonna you know get a little impatient. Something you're gonna turn the ball over. You're gonna miss a block here or there. Like. If, if you can sit there and just challenge them play after play after play after play after play, like it'll result in something good eventually. And so, Agree. you know, when you do that and you avoid the procedural penalties of substituting and not following the snap count and just crap like that, like that's that's all I need to see. From right. Georgia Tech in year two under Jeff Collins. Like, yeah, you're clearly not in a position here where you're really legitimately going to challenge Notre Dame. That's fine. I don't expect you to, and nobody does. But it's just don't make an ass of yourself in this game. Just, and just try to play well. Yeah, dude. It's what it boils down to. Whether or not you do is another thing, but just try to play well. Don't get outright embarrassed. Yeah, I, I was talking to my dad this afternoon, and I, I reiterated the point. I was like, there are certain things in football that take zero talent to do. And again, know the snap count, know where to line up, like – know how to substitute things. Once again, I could teach a team of third graders in two hours. Right. If you do those things well, and you still get beat by three touchdowns by Notre Dame. Fine. Yeah. You had off, shake their hand, move on. It was a nice Saturday afternoon. You had good weather, like got outside, got some exercise, you know, (laughs) tried some stuff on offense. I don't know. Like that's fine. You know, so it's, that's that's all I need. I there were some tech fans that were all real mad. It's like, well, we just got blown out again. Yeah, well, you did that against Notre Dame. You know who else they blow out? Almost everybody. So almost everybody they play. You yeah. can live with that. Just you know, see some progress. And this was one of the better defensive efforts I think that Georgia Tech has given this year. And that's something to hang your hat on. I think. Agree. Agree. Um, it it did bug me a little bit once again that they struggled to just string together first downs at all. Um, you know, it, it was so that was a bit of a struggle. Um, you, you scored finally offensively, like late in the in the fourth quarter, and whatever. It wasn't perfect, even considering from Georgia Tech. But as much as I have griped about all sorts of stuff, the stuff that I'm frustrated about this week is relatively details, like just right, not a big deal. So we can we can live with this, move on, and try again here in two weeks against Pittsburgh. Yep, and we're still on the total watch of over under two and a half wins, and Joey's got the over, and we're still waiting on that elusive third win for Georgia Tech. Dude, play like this the last four games of the year. Pittsburgh at Miami, Duke at NC State. Play like this in those four games. We're going to be in good shape. Yeah, no, I I agree. They'll be fine. Um, and Notre Dame has Clemson next week, and that won't be easy. That we're gonna have to spend some time talking about that mm-hmm. game on the preview because I got some thoughts. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Notre Dame thirty-one, Georgia Tech thirteen. Uh, a couple more here, Mike. Wake Forest thirty-eight, Syracuse fourteen. Syracuse, gosh, Syracuse, you tried. You tried real hard, and gave effort. Um, I would say it was fresh air, but it was in the Carrier Dome, so I don't know if there was 
I don't know if it was like recycled air or what it was in there, but they got some exercise. They Jerry. got exercise. Yeah, um, yeah. This, I mean, wake just too much. And gosh, I don't know what we do with Syracuse right now. Yeah, we won't be mistaking Rex Culpepper with Dante Culpepper, Joey. That's for sure. <laughs> that's small but important difference between yes. Rex and Dante Culpepper. <laughs> yeah, Rex Culpepper, fifteen to twenty-seven for eighty-five yards. That's not a typo. Let me let me reiterate. 15 of 27 for 85 yards. One touchdown, mm. two interceptions. Uh yeah, 3.1 yards per attempt not, or completion, not good. That's slightly less than you aim for here. Yeah. Yeah, 5.9 QBR for those of you keeping score at home. So, Oof. Syracuse Syracuse's offense is just uh, real bad they didn't really run the ball well either 22 for 79 as a team so not really much of anything went well there and when you look at wake forest this was one of the games where you expect wake forest to win wake forest entered as a double digit favorite on the road and they quickly dispatched syracuse it was 10 nothing after the first it was 17 7 after halftime and then it's 21 nothing run by Wake Forest in the third quarter. Just put this thing totally out of reach. Uh, Syracuse scored a garbage time touchdown to make it 38-14. to But this thing was 38-7 to in the fourth. Um, this was never really competitive. Wake Forest was the better team throughout. Uh, once again, ran the ball well. 188 yards as a team, three touchdowns. Christian Beal Smith had 87 yards. Kenneth Walker at third, 79 yards on the ground, three scores. So really nice day from him getting in the end zone. And Jaquari Roberson, seven receptions, 130 yards, and a touchdown, quietly becoming one of the better receivers in the ACC on Wake Forest. who's mm. not, And it's not Sage Surratt. So interesting mm. development there. Mike, um, I need you to do me a favor real quick. Oh, I can do that. I need you to just, just clear your mind. I need you to get into a very zen, calm place. Um, just forget everything you know about anything. Okay. All right. Yep. Wake Forest is four and two, and they've won four in a row. How do we how do we feel about that? Yeah, that's so. I was going to bring <laughs> that up next because Wake Forest. So they started the season off with a loss to Clemson. Ho hum, you lost to Clemson. Okay. They lost to Clemson by twenty four points. Who does that, Mike? That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah that is crazy. Got huh? Blown out. Blown out by Clemson. Go Jackets. What? Uh, who does that? <laughs> Anyways, not, not Georgia Tech. That's who. Okay, NC Couldn't State. Could be me. NC State beats Wake <laughs> in a shootout, forty-five to forty-two, the following week. So, Wake Forest starts out by losing a game that they were supposed to lose, and then a game they probably could have won. The Notre Dame game gets postponed, and Wake Forest goes on a run of Campbell, UVA, Virginia Tech, and Syracuse. We went into that Campbell game expecting Wake Forest to win, but we didn't know just how good they would look. They hadn't played in a few weeks. Last time we saw them, the defense wasn't any good. They go 66-14 to against Campbell, followed up with a 17-point win against UVA. They beat Virginia Tech at home in the most unexpected upset of the year for Wake Forest, and then they followed that up with an expected victory against Syracuse. So is Wake, like right around what they should be with like just a random upset against Virginia tech in there, or 
I mean, the rest of the way, we're going to find out a lot. I mean, they got North Carolina on the road, Duke on the road, Miami, Louisville, and Notre Dame. That is a brutal stretch. Yeah. I don't I don't know what to do with that. Like, I, I feel like the minimum expectation there is that you at least split Duke and Louisville. Um, but Hopefully win both. I, yeah, that's, that's very much on the table. And, I mean... For for the way this team has played, I again I was not high on Wake Forest. I think I had them fifteenth out of fifteen coming into the season in the ACC. Like I thought they were going to be. I mean, it's just a, a a gap year again. No Jamie Newman, no Sage Surratt. Blah 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 blah. Take your pick. Right. Like just a, a tough gap year for for this team and a tough schedule. I thought they were going up against. And here they are, like middle of the pack in the ACC. They've pulled the upset over Virginia Tech. They've I mean, they sit there and just blow out Syracuse and, and a couple right. of teams like I I mean, I don't know what to do with that, but Wake Forest might still kind of have something here. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and when we talked to Connor O'Neill in the preseason, we focused on Jamie Newman transferring. What was Sam Hartman going to be? Um, Cade Carney is no longer with the program. Sage Surratt opted out literally the day after we did the preview with Connor. Mm-hmm. And so we had high expectations for Sage Surratt. Then he opts out. And then it's like, all right offensively, what is Wake going to be able to do realistically with Sam Hartman re-entering the fold and now not having your best playmaker at receiver and not having Cade Carney anymore in the running game? So, like, what does Wake Forest look like offensively? Offense is pretty damn good still, which is promising news for Wake Forest. And the only way that they were going to get to six or seven wins this year was pulling off at least one upset, maybe two. Well, they pulled off one against Virginia Tech. If they win the games they're supposed to down the stretch, Joey, against Duke, against Louisville, again, both games on the road, not going to be easy, but those are two winnable games for Wake Forest, and they lose to North Carolina, Miami, and Notre Dame like they're supposed to, it's a 6-5 and five season for Wake Forest. That's damn good. That's damn good in what we thought was going to be kind of a step-back reset year for them. So I was looking at like 3-8 and eight or something like that. So Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what we're saying. So like even being in the neighborhood of six wins is a huge accomplishment and a testament to how good of a coach Dave Clawson is. And we've been banging that drum forever on this podcast. He is an outstanding coach. Yep. Yeah. It, it's, it's exactly right. It's a testament to the program that he's built. If they are able to pull off anything, even close to that. So yeah, credit to them. Um, I mean, b- big win here in a, a spot that seemed like it could be kind of dangerous against a, a Syracuse team that tends to play pretty well you know at home and in the carrier dome and you know the jokes we'll make about it that's fine but this is a team that seems like they generally play better at home and wake forest just went in there and housed them um yeah never competitive yeah not at all so big win for the steam and deeks um i I mean we could spend some time at some point mike talking about syracuse because i i don't know what we're doing here i don't know where we're going with this um Syracuse not in a great spot. And man, we're going to have to dive in. Is it more programmatic or is it more coaching? And I have mixed feelings about that one. I, I have somewhat mixed feelings, but I think I lean towards the former. I, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is an issue of you got the wrong guy there. I think you've got an issue of you got the wrong structure around him. Um, Yeah. If you're a Syracuse fan trying to figure out whether or not you should fire your coach, just think about life before Dino Babers and whether or not you're better off now than you were with Scott Schaefer. 
Man, my lasting memory of Scott Schaefer is watching him lose to Georgia Tech 56 to nothing under Paul Johnson. And uh, that seems like indicative of kind of how the whole thing went. I think that was like a week or two after he talked a bunch of trash about how uh, soft Atlanta was for not being able to deal with snow or whatever. And it's like, yeah. just put it on him. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe if your team sucks, you like go ahead and not put your players in a situation where they got to defend those statements. Yeah, not great. Not great. So, yeah, I mean, we could sit here and say, well, when's the last time Syracuse had a good football team? Well, it was like two years ago. But then before that, um, I don't know. It might have been before I was in college. It might have been before they were in the ACC. Like Dante Culpepper. <laughs> did he? No, Donovan McNabb is the one Donovan that played McNabb. there. Yeah. Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb. Dante Culpepper. Dante Culpepper played at UCF. <laughs> he was the original <laughs> yeah, UCF it's a big quarterback. Time. Yeah, it's a big-time throwback. Sorry. Yeah. Donovan McNabb. And I was struggling to remember between him and Byron Lefwich, who played at Marshall. So there's yeah. that, too. Yeah, everybody on Earth is like, Mike, you guessed the wrong black guy. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I did. Call it what it is, Mike. Um, it is, right. Yeah. I I mean, this Syracuse team hasn't been particularly dangerous since, yeah, probably. I feel like it's been something since Donovan McNabb. But Greg Paulus? Who? I don't Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 Early uh, earlier Big East days. I, it's I been know. a long time. It's been a long time. I don't know what you do with Syracuse. We got we gotta talk about them here in the offseason and figure out what's going on. But anyways, yep. we'll move on for now. Wake Forest thirty eight, Syracuse fourteen. Last one, Mike. Duke fifty three, Charlotte nineteen. Charlotte did not cover the nine and a half. Uh, and uh, nope. did not win the game outright, that's for sure. Yeah, thank God we didn't bet on this, right? <clears throat> Speak for yourself. Yes. I, I you wish can't. I could. Okay, yeah. I, I was going to say, I wish I could. <laughs> I also bet on Duke, or I'm sorry, on uh, Charlotte plus the 10. I got a 10. I got 10 and a half. You got was, 10 and a half. Mike, I got to tell you, I was really, really feeling myself. Probably about 4 or 5 o'clock. All my picks have been working out so far. Even though I was in the yeah. penalty box, that was fine. So, like, you know what? The world is telling me to get on Charlotte plus 10, you know, oh, 10 and a half. Okay, sure. Yeah. And it didn't go well. Well, congrats on the getting the 10 and a half. You needed 34. Yeah. It went quite poorly. You got almost um, a third of the way to the spread. Yeah. Yes. So congrats on your half point you got in value over me. <laughs> uh, we needed a hell of a lot more than that. Uh, Duke finishes this game with five sacks. We talked about this on the preview, how that could potentially be an issue if uh, for Charlotte to not cover the fact that they couldn't contain Duke's front. Newsflash, they couldn't. Um, this was a game where uh, running the football for Charlotte didn't necessarily go as planned. Sure, they ran for 177 yards. It took them 51 attempts, Joey. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the flip side, this was all about the Duke chunk plays. That's all that this was. Duke averaging a casual eight yards per carry mm -hmm. on 34 carries. Yeah, Deion Jackson and Mateo Durant both pop off. They had a 60-yard run, 65-yard run. Jordan Waters had a 70-yard touchdown run in this game. So hmm. this was all about the chunk plays. Chase Bryce did not do really much of anything. He just handed the ball off. He was 8 of 14 for 106 yards. Did have the one touchdown pass to Jalen Calhoun but it really wasn't a situation where Chase Bryce was asked to do a whole lot. I was going to say, we, we returned to the segment of, if I told you Chase Bryce into this game with 106 yards and only one touchdown, like how much would you have bet on Charlotte? I would have been feeling pretty good about that Charlotte bet. Mm-hmm. 
probably would have bet a lot more than I did on it, which probably would not have gone well for me. Mm-hmm. Good thing you didn't. Yeah. Good thing I didn't. Yeah. Good thing the ten dollar bet I placed is all <laughs> I lost. Um, this was not not good for Charlotte. Duke did exactly what they needed to do in this football game. I gave way too much credit to the fact that Will Healy coaches Charlotte, not the fact that Will Healy uh, plays for Charlotte. Because <laughs> if if he played, maybe this would have gone a little bit differently. But uh, this is a very tough, tough loss for Charlotte. They just really couldn't compete with a Duke team that's really not very good. I'm going to check the numbers here. Oh, yeah. Will Healy, he's a man. He's 35. He's a man. He's 35. Um, definitely can't suit up. Charlotte wishes he could. Uh, Does that qualify as like a linebacker, maybe? I don't know. I don't don't know. They needed a lot. Uh, they needed a lot on both sides of the ball. To Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, this was death by a million big plays by Duke in this game. So good on the Blue Devils for just, I mean, ripping off a number of huge plays that Charlotte was just not able to uh, hang with. So it's it's really funny because on this podcast and on my tech podcast, I had the same reaction when we talked about the Virginia Tech game. podcast. My Virginia Tech podcast, the real tech. <laughs> when we had this discussion on my Virginia Tech podcast as well as this one, I said, "Is Duke ten points better than anybody right now?" The answer, the answer is yes. The <laughs> yeah. answer is yes. Seems seems to be. Yeah. So, um, Mike, you want to go on any longer about Duke versus Charlotte? I don't. <sighs> I'm good. The answer is no. Yeah. Duke 53, Charlotte, the 49ers, 19. Um, Mike, the actual, need the actual 49ers out there. That's right. Yeah, that might have been a little bit closer. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on week eight. You want to give out some awards real quick? Let's do it. Uh, the Go ACC moment of the week, we mentioned this briefly in uh, the initial game that we previewed. Clemson uh, surviving against Boston College, and part of what enabled Boston College to stay in this game so long was that there were a pair of throws that Phil Dracovic made in this game that were pretty ill-advised. At least one of them was like a, a tip drill kind of situation, but both ended up in Clemson interceptions in in turn just straight up turnovers that were called back on roughing the passer calls both of them were yep and that wasn't good yeah not not great Clemson doing all the wrong things to try to you know take back control of the game especially is astounding to me I thought Mike was the second one and this was I, I forget late in the third quarter early in the fourth quarter where again just chucks one up there and it gets picked off and then you see the replay and Xavier Thomas rushing him not only does he like you know go in kind of late to hit Phil Dracovic he's like leaping to maybe knock down the pass and coming down he drops his head and goes helmet to helmet on Dracovic and gets thrown out of the game for targeting just an absolute ridiculous boneheaded play for him. He's now going to miss the, the the first half of this Notre Dame game next week. One of the biggest games of the year for Clemson. Absolutely. I mean, just a, a ridiculous, ridiculous. I, I don't know what else to say about it. It, it was it was absurd. Um, so go ACC to that, Clemson, for ruining multiple turnovers in a game that you were trying to get back in by uh, being a little too zealous about hitting the quarterback 
just some uncharacteristic mistakes that it wouldn't have made a difference if Trevor Lawrence was starting or not. It mm-hmm. was like it was a Travis Etienne fumble, which we can discuss whether or not that happens with Trevor Lawrence handing the ball to him. We can discuss the merits of that another time. But you have that play, and then you have penalties negating two separate turnovers. So it was not a perfect game for Clemson by any stretch, Joey. Yeah, no. You got to imagine that the discussion at halftime was probably uh, spirited, we could say. Yeah, I would say so. The Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, Mike, this week unfortunately goes to your Hokies, who with about six seconds left until halftime saw Malik Cunningham hand the ball to Javian Hawkins and it was just a basic run play to the right, and they were going to go over there and tackle him, and they, they tried, and then Javion Hawkins was gone. Yeah, I don't know if we should give the You Tried Award to Virginia Tech's tackling or just for Virginia Tech for trying to close out the half because both have been issues for them this year, mm-hmm. and both continue to be an issue on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, you tried Virginia Tech at whatever that ends up being, um, but regardless, the tackling needs to improve, and closing out the half needs to improve a lot. Yeah, get better at that, please. I, I could not believe what I was watching. Like I've, I can't think. I mean, there's been maybe I, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I've ever seen anything like that. You know, with the, it was the white flag surrender. Like just it was eight seconds left till halftime. Whatever. Like third down on your own into the field. Like just get out of there, go in the locker room, and we'll figure it out from there. And then, oh hey, he's still running. And yeah. None of us can catch him. Like, oh gosh. Yeah. So Yeah. Wow, he's is he running to the locker room early? Yeah. That's weird. I yeah. don't know what happened there. So go see to you, uh, Virginia Tech defense. Uh, you tried. Good try. Yep. And Do better. Mike, our Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week, uh, goes to, as mentioned very recently, the uh Syracuse quarterback Rex Culpepper. Mm. Big yikes. Uh fifteen to twenty seven, that's not bad. 85 yards, not good. Yeah. A touchdown and two picks. Yeah. So I think this is my favorite volume shooter of the week award we've given out so far. Shoot your shot, brother. Yeah, shoot your shot. I mean, throw damn near 30 passes for 85 yards. <laughs> I, that's that's one way to lose. I think I did more than that in like the four passes that I was the quarterback for my flag football team a couple years ago. Yeah. Well, whew. I, I mean... I want to congratulate Rex Culpepper on completing more than half of his passes. <laughs> that That's positive progress. That is an improvement, Mike. Not Dante Culpepper. <laughs> Definitely not. And also decidedly not Donovan McNabb for what that's <laughs> Decidedly not noted Syracuse alum Donovan McNabb. <laughs> what a crucial, crucial mistake I made there. Small but important difference. Small but important difference. Both yeah. good quarterbacks. One is an alum. One is definitely not. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Kobe. Rex. Kobe. Kobe to you. Um, Mike, who's your team of the week? Uh, team of the week is the Virginia Cavaliers. I think so. I can't. I don't think I can give it to Clemson. You don't get a. You don't get team of the week for barely surviving as a even a twenty four point favorite. So yeah, with no. your other five star quarterback. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think Virginia is the right call here. Um, huge yeah. win for them and, and for the Cavs, and well done for them. And an honorable mention plug for for my school, Virginia Tech, because I tweeted this being a really important win for Justin Fuente. 
because this could have spiraled out of control with who Tech has left. Mm -hmm. I didn't mention this when we were recapping the game, but if Tech were to have lost this game, this would have been their third loss of the year. And Tech still has Miami and Clemson remaining on the schedule. Two games that are absolutely one, one is definitely losable in Clemson and will be losable. And then the other is Miami, which is a losable game. That's before even traveling to Pitt, which is House of Horrors for Virginia Tech. So this could have spiraled out of control quick. Still could. But this was a really important win coming off of that Wake Forest debacle. So. No, absolutely. A critical bounce back for the Hokies this weekend. Yep. Um, player of the week, Mike. I, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Travis Etienne. He oh, had a huge um, off the beaten path, huh? Yeah, off the beaten path. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. He uh, he has won ACC player the uh, player of the year last two years. Uh, he is now the ACC's all time leading rusher as of this week. Yep. Um, he came up huge in a game, honestly. Where again, no Trevor Lawrence. He goes for eighty four yards on the ground and one hundred and forty in the passing game. Um, he was huge. He he had to step up and he did. And again, he he also set the all time rushing record in the ACC while he was doing it. So, you know what? I, I You know, give me that guy. Player yeah. of the week. Clemson needs somebody to step up, and the receiving core outside of Amari Rodgers has been hit and miss all year, and they need somebody to step up, and ETN fumbled before halftime on that exchange, and I don't know if that's his fault or not. Dabo was talking to him, so it seems like it was probably his fault. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and more than makes up for it. He had the 84 yards rushing, he had the 140 yards receiving, and... He is a complete back that's going to make an NFL team very, very happy next spring. Yep. Yeah. He can kind of do it all. Um, yeah. From a skill standpoint, from a physical standpoint, I mean, he's he's something else. So, yeah. I'll give him my, my player of the week. Yeah. my Mine is Deami Brown in a losing effort for North Carolina. He had 11 receptions for 240 yards and three touchdowns. He had a couple, like, video game catches in that game. Yeah. Too. He is uh, – I think he's the best receiver in the conference. Um, I, I struggle to find one that's better more consistently than Deami Brown. There are some good ones in the ACC. He's right up there. I I struggle to agree with that just because usually when I think of that, like, oh, best receiver in the conference, I'm looking for a level of, like, physical dominance. You know, mm-hmm. you think of a guy like Larry Fitzgerald or, or Calvin Johnson or take your pick of guys – Deami Brown doesn't do that. He's more, um, uh, what do we, I mean, honestly, a, a decent comparison might be uh, either Jerry Judy from Alabama or mm-hmm. um, uh, Justin Ross from Clemson in the last couple of yep. years. Like, he's not, like, physically overwhelming as much as he is so unbelievably agile and, and able to make some pretty circus catches and, there's just some things fast. that he does really well that it's, it's almost impossible to guard, I guess. Yeah, so, and, and he's fast. Yeah, very fast, very agile, you know, great hands. So he definitely has got to be up there. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily what I would think of from a prototypical standpoint, but he's he's awesome. He's great to watch. Yeah, and since we make up the rules, I'll also do one from the winning team in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Snowden had 10 tackles. That was second on the team behind Nick Jackson yeah. in this game. Yeah. Had four, four sacks. I, I had a bad feeling when we were talking about that game that we were going to forget about Charles Snowden because, yeah. my goodness, yeah, he was a huge force in this game. Um, Thankfully, we didn't forget. <laughs> yeah, no, good on you. Hey, good on you. Yeah. Make sure we, we get that guy in. Yeah. Um, number of good performances. I mean, uh, s- s- frankly, like, what you got from DJ Uyunglele, like, on short notice to start and, 
you know, true freshman and, and being down all that. I mean, that was a good performance from him. Um, numbers look pretty good on Malik Cunningham and Des Fitzpatrick for Louisville, but realizing that a lot of that came on like one or two plays. So. Yeah. Hendon Hooker, three touchdown runs, 10 of 10 for 185 yards passing. I mean, yeah. he didn't throw for like six touchdowns or something like that, but mm -hmm. from an efficiency standpoint, real good. Hard to beat that. Yep. Duke's so. running backs. Like. Sam Howell, 23-28 for 443. Like, Yep. So, had some good performances this week. Several of them, as you mentioned, in losing efforts. So, for what that's worth. Got to be better, I guess. Right? I, I, I mean... I don't know. I always I always struggle with this concept of like, well, you know, the Falcons are two and four, so Matt Ryan's washed. It's like, no, Matt right. Ryan's had him in position to win the game five of those six weeks, and the defense keeps giving up leads. Like, yeah, maybe Coach it's a, saying that about Tom Brady with the Patriots last year. It's maybe like, yeah, it's how? not a one man game. Maybe it's a twenty two man game. I don't know. But anyways. yeah, yeah, maybe the forty three year old offensive player of the month in the AFC just needed weapons around him. <laughs> Who would have thought? Could be. Could be. Yeah. Um, all right, before we go down that rabbit hole too far, um, Mike, I think that's all I've got on week eight. Anything else before we get out of here? We mentioned when we were texting today that this was going to be a long recap because mm -hmm. we had a lot to talk about and yeah. that it would probably be longer than last week when we also had a lot to talk about. I feel like I still don't know what the hell is going on at this conference outside of Clemson. It's, I, I, I'm convinced at this point it is, it is the COVID year, Mike, and we've, everybody's just, inconsistent as hell there's random dudes missing random games and you just don't know what you're going to get from almost anybody coming out on any given week and that maybe explains why our picks have been low-key kind of trash all year just hope that you always have a five-star quarterback to back up the best player in the acc the other five-star quarterback yep and it especially helps if your other five-star quarterback gets hurt if you have also another five-star quarterback to back him up to. So, yeah, it's good so, insurance. Yeah, so at the end of the day, just make sure you recruit well. <laughs> yeah. Rule number one, be good-looking. Rule number two, don't be bad-looking. It's, yep. it's very simple, Mike. It's, and it's and rule number three, recruit like Al. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. Uh, we're going to come back and preview week nine, which I haven't even – looked at the schedule but i just i feel pretty comfortable saying it's going to be pretty interesting especially considering we got probably arguably game of the year in the acc coming up so yeah and a friday night game we do yeah that's it's only like the second or maybe third like conference game we've had on a weeknight so far this year it's kind of weird but you know i like it i'm in for it miami on national tv all by themselves what could possibly go wrong in Raleigh? that's right yep come on nc state um other than that, Mike, we're going to get out of here. You can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. We had a couple people reach out to us on Twitter this week, just giving us a little you know, tip here, tip there on you know, little inside stuff that we wouldn't have noticed just looking at you know, a box score or, or watching Twitter if you weren't exactly watching the game. So appreciate those who did that. That's, that's really helpful for us. Uh, so shout out to those people who did. Thank you. Um, Mike, they can send us an email with their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And we do have emails that we need to address from uh, Mr. Keith Derrick and Mr. Shane Del Solar still. So thank you guys for sending those in. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, uh, and especially on the Anchor app. And thanks to those who have... 
Mike, do you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do, please do. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, that's all I've got. Anything else before we get out of here? On to another week. You going to take NC State minus, or plus nine against Miami at home? Mm. Can I mold that one over a little bit? I was going to say, this is tempting. We could, we, we'll, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know about that one. We'll see. Virginia Tech only minus 16 against Liberty. Interesting. Liberty's ranked. Liberty's ranked. They are. That is true. Uh, Mike, we'll talk again on, uh, like, I don't know, Wednesday. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC.